Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 23. If you're taking notes, the title of my message, thank you, Tina Turner, is this, What's Love Got to Do With It? Got to do with it. Got to do with it. The title of my message is, What's Love? Everybody say, What's Love? What's Love Got to Do With It? It's a great question that I'm going to answer today with the help of both, well, Luke from Acts, and also hold your place in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to go to Revelation for, for just a, a few minutes later on. But let, let's pick it up here today in Acts chapter 19. Once again, beginning in verse 23, here's what we are told. And by, by the way, this is the setting here is the ancient city of Ephesus. So here's what Luke tells us. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not what? Are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Now let me stop right there for just a second. Here's a little background of what's going on. The city of Ephesus was a major seaport city in Asia Minor, and it was the home to this magnificent, huge temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis. And so if you don't know who Artemis is, well, first of all, she was the the many-breasted goddess of fertility. She was the the, the goddess of wild animals. She was the goddess of the hunt. She was the goddess of of chastity and of childbirth. And so in Ephesus, there was this huge temple, 62 feet high, I believe it was. It was enormous, uh, surpassing even the Parthenon. I mean, enormous temple dedicated to her. And so we're told that in this city, well, there was this man named Demetrius. Everybody say Demetrius. And this man had a particular skill, had a particular trade, and that is that he was a silversmith. Now, Demetrius, we were told, made silver shrines or replicas, most likely of this temple, the temple to the goddess Artemis. And so he made these replicas, he made these shrines, and then uh, he was basically the one who made them, and then they would sell these shrines to the people of Ephesus and surrounding areas, and these people would, they would use these replicas, they would take them in their homes and place them on their altars at home, the hearths at home, and use them in their worship to the goddess Artemis. And so we're told here that, that Demetrius, uh, well, he gets upset because, well, there's this man running around named Paul. 
And Paul is proclaiming the gospel, which Demetrius doesn't go into detail about all of that, but here's what he highlights. Demetrius says that Paul has persuaded a great many, a great number of people, essentially to forsake their false gods. Paul persuaded many as he preached the gospel that the gods made with human hands are not, are not what? Are, are not gods. And so, I mean, that was the essence of his message that, hey, the, the, these false gods that you're worshiping, they can do nothing for you. They are lifeless. They are not God. There's only one God and his name is Yahweh and Jesus is his son. That, that's what Paul proclaimed. Now, Demetrius is upset because people's hearts are turning from the worship of these false gods and these false replicas. They're turning from those things and turning to the living God. What do you think the consequence of that would be for businesses who sold these things? Well, that they would suffer greatly, right? And that's what happened. People threw away these replicas. They threw away their false gods, those objects of worship to false gods, and, and, and others altogether just stopped buying them. Are y'all with me? And, and so Demetrius, well, he's upset, and other businessmen and others were upset because, well, they were suffering financially. And it seems like in most cases, one way or another, it always comes down to what? To money, right? And yeah, there is some concern here about the, you know, Artemis, that, that this goddess may be counted as nothing. Yeah, there was some concern about, of course, Artemis's reputation. But really, this was, this was about money. This was about their livelihood. People were no longer buying their shrines. And so Demetrius raises this fuss. And then you know how it is when you're upset. What do you want to do? You want to get on the phone and find somebody else that's upset, don't you? You want somebody to commiserate with you. You want someone that's going to join you. Well, Demetrius is obviously concerned because of his wealth and the concern for losing money. So listen to what it says here. The Bible says in Acts 19, verse, let's pick it up in verse 28. Listen to this. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, which probably held about 12,000, dragging with him Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, verse 32 is classic. Now, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And look at this. This is hilarious. Most of them did not know why they had come together. They were just mad. They just wanted to form a mob and just, you know, go off. Verse 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. And when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Okay? Are, are y'all getting the picture of what's happening in this episode? All of this took place for two reasons. Because of Paul's preaching 
and because of Demetrius's complaining, but primarily because Paul preached against these false gods. Now, this is like chaos. You're talking about this spilling over, then going into from the town, then being pushed into a theater that held 12,000. I mean, this was a, like a major riot in the city. Are you getting the picture? And here's what I want you to see. This was, as it said, no little disturbance, which means that this was a gigantic mess. The town clerk, we're told in verses 35 through 41, had to get up, calm the crowd, quiet the crowd, and then dismiss the crowd. So this was an enormous mess happening in Ephesus. So on one hand, yes, we can say it's a mess, but here's what I want to point out to you today. Yes, this was a mess, but my friends, this was a move of God. This was a move of God. You say, well, Pastor Scott, how could you say that? Well, because the backstory is many people repented of their sins and turned to Jesus to the point that businesses lost money and mobs were formed. Now, today we talk about, you know, man, there's a move of God happening. People are showing up to church and praying. And I'm like, praise God. But listen to me, a true move of God, both personally, corporately, and as a community is evidenced by many things. But one thing in particular will stand out in every move of God. And that is that people will develop different spending habits. You will spend your money on a complete different list of things that you used to spend your money on. And what I mean by that is this. When you believe the gospel and you repent of your sins, you don't want the things that you used to want. You want new things because you got a new appetite. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that you don't ever want sin. It doesn't mean that all your sinful desires are gone. But when you become born again, you're a new creation who desires new things. And so today we say in America, well, you know, it's, it's, all, it's the production of all the porn. That's the problem. And I'm like, yeah, that, that obviously is a problem. But how many of y'all know it's not just about the producers. It's about the consumers. You say, well, it's all the violence is being produced out there. We're purchasing all these things that have to do with violence. And I said, yeah, there's a production problem. But how many of y'all know there's also a consumer problem? It's not just a supply problem. It's a demand problem. But see, when God moves in a man's heart or a woman's heart and he gets a hold of your heart, listen, Christianity is from the, it's from the inside out, not the outside in. And Christianity is working out what God's worked in. And when you get born again, you don't want that stuff any longer. And when you don't want that stuff any longer, that means it's not just a little church thing. It's not just a little church revival where people are praying. That's amazing. But when a true move of God takes place, pagan businesses shut down because nobody wants to show up to bother nasty stuff any longer. Does that make sense? It's not just a production problem. It's a consumer problem. But see, you get born again, God gives you new taste buds, doesn't he? And I'm not saying that you don't ever once sinned, you will to some measure. I mean, come on, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. How many of y'all know it's a lifetime of God changing us? But, but listen, if, if you say you got saved and you didn't get a new set of taste buds, you probably didn't get saved. What I mean is if you say you got saved and you punched your ticket for heaven, but we're still committed to living like hell, we probably didn't get saved. If we're still living the way that we used to live, but we say we're going to heaven, we probably didn't get saved. And I'm saying in an ongoing way, 
I'm saying if there's no conviction, if there's no desire there, we got to check our spiritual pulses. Are y'all tracking? Oh, it's another hard message. Pastor Dave, I'm going to need you after this one. (laughs) Businesses suffered. You say you want businesses to suffer? I want pagan businesses to suffer. I want the porn industry to suffer. Because you get saved, you don't don't want to spend your money on excessive alcohol and and drugs and violence. You You don't want that stuff, do you? You don't want the things of the world. You want the what? The word. You don't, you don't want to get drunk with wine. You want to be filled with the... Are y'all, are y'all with me today? You want new things. Increasingly so. You want godly things over the course of your life. And that's what we see happening here in this passage. Businesses suffered because of these men and women who turned from the, the, the false worship of false gods to the true in living God. And here's what I want you to see. This is so clear, hopefully, and so good to you. That the Apostle Paul, of course, would later write a letter to the church at Ephesus, one that I hope to study soon with y'all. But decades after that, after Paul wrote to the Ephesians, John received a revelation from Jesus about this church. And before I read this, what I want you to see is that from this passage in Acts, I think it's clear that men and women forsook idols, they hated their idols, and they found a new love in Jesus. Would that be safe to say? Would it be safe to say that if you're throwing away your idols, things that you loved and adored and all but bowed down to, if you're throwing those things away and you're picking up your word, is that a pretty good sign that you love God? That you love Jesus? Is Is that a pretty good sign? I think it is. There's more to it than that, as you're going to see, but that's a pretty good sign. The church in Ephesus started out, let me say it this way, on fire for Jesus. The church there loved God, loved people. They had a great start. And here's what Jesus says. Uh, This is recorded in Revelation 2, 1 through 3. He says, to the the angel, to the angel, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write this. Here's what he says. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He says this, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown Weary. Now, that's pretty encouraging, huh? This was, this was addressed, this was given decades after the church was birthed. So the church started out well, forsaking idols. They did good or well over the course of time. Jesus then addresses this church at the, probably the latter part of the first century, says all these things about them. And let me summarize. The church was hardworking. How many of y'all know we should be hardworking? Nobody knows that. How many of y'all know? We should be hardworking Christians. We should be patient. They were patient. They were discerning. They were intolerant of evil. They were tenacious. They were committed to Jesus' name and more. They started out so well, and they continued, it appears, doing well for a time. They started out madly in love with God, with Jesus. But... 
Listen to what Jesus says here in Revelation 2, verse 4. In spite of all these things he said that are positive, he says, but I have this against you, decades later, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Whoa. Now, I would have been like, okay, Jesus, can't you just be positive? Actually, I would never say that. But someone who had no fear, no fear of the Lord in their lives would say something like that. I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, we got a good growth track and worship was good. I mean, didn't you hear Seth? I mean, we got our seating is nice and we have great people here. They give their money and uh, man, some, some of the saints here at Midtown, you've been through hell. You've been faithful. I mean, Jesus, come on, can't you just focus on what's right and not pick out what's wrong? I gotta be real careful with this. It's hypothetical, but I gotta be real careful with that. He said, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. What kind of love was that? Well, it was deep-seated love and affection for God and for people. They had it at one point. And it wasn't just in what they did. He's getting down to really the reason of why they did those things. How many of y'all know you can do the right things before and from the wrong motivation and you get no reward before God? You might do the right thing and bless people, but, but according to the scripture, it's not just what we do. It's why we do what we do. The church started out doing well. They loved God. They loved people. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.15. He said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Whoa, he's commending them. But something happened to them. And something can happen to us as well. The same thing. They abandoned the love they had. At first, lean in and listen carefully. Love for God and love for people is the heart of Christianity. And when you lose love, nothing else really matters. Did you hear that? When we lose love as our motivation for what we do, Nothing else really matters. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Man, this is challenging. Listen, listen carefully. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a what? Clanging symbol. In other words, you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the presence of God overflowing. You can get some new strange tongue, some supernatural language as evidence that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You can speak. Paul says, I can speak in the tongues of both men and probably speaking hyperbolically here. And of angels, I can speak in these tongues. But he says, listen, but if I, if I have not love, let me paraphrase, let, let me break it down. I'm just loud. I'm just noisy. And you think, well, no, but I've got this gift. I mean, that, 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 that is love. Paul says you can, you can use your gift, but if it's not from a place of love, you're just a loud, noisy, religious Christian. 
Hello. And it gets worse. He says in verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, you say, man, the Spirit came upon me and I prophesied. Good for you. Great. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Oh, here's a big one. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, he says, but have not love, I am what? I am nothing. So according to Paul, it's not just what you do, but it's who you are. And it's why you do the things that you do. You can come to church and you can sing and we can say, we can pray, mountain move, be cast into the sea. And we can all join together in faith and we can direct our faith toward this or toward that. But Paul says we can do all that. But if we don't do it from the place of love, we are nothing. Isn't that a sobering thought? It's a sobering thought. Oh, and it really gets bad with this one. Verse 3, if I give away all I have. Think about that. People think, well, that is love. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned. Wow. Y'all ready to do that? Come to Growth Track. We'll teach you your purpose. My, body is, my, my purpose is to give my body to be burned. To sacrifice. To give all I have away. But have not love. I gain nothing. Is that convicting to anybody but me? Someone said, well, giving away things, that is love. Not necessarily. You can give things away and it serves a temporal good, but according to Paul, if it's not done out of love, you get no reward from God. You can write a big old check and I won't stop you if you want to do that. It's not, uh, yeah, that's another thing. If you are called to be generous, no matter what you make, generous for you, you give. I'm not going to stop you, but know this. You, we can give in the name of Jesus for the cause of Jesus. But if it's not for the purpose of loving people, if it's not out of the motivation of love, according to Paul, we gain nothing. Wow. What's his point? Without love, we are nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. How many of y'all know it's not enough to just love good doctrine? In other words, people say, well, man, Pascal, I love Midtown because like, y'all teach the Bible and love good doctrine and we want to get the Bible right. Praise God. That's what I'm trying to do here. But how many of y'all know, it's not enough just to love good doctrine. We must truly, from the heart, truly love the great God of Scripture. Truly love Him. Not just things about Him, which are that's involved, but truly Him. I want you, God. I want your presence. Listen carefully. It's not enough just to say that we hate sin. How many of y'all know as believers we should hate sin? First in our own lives. Begin with ourselves. John Wesley said we should be rigorous in judging ourselves, and gracious in judging others. We should hate sin. But how many of y'all know, we must also love sinners and the Savior who died for them. Because see, we, we as Christians can sometimes be defined by just what we're against. We're, we're against this sin, we're against that sin, we're against this group, we're against that. In a sense, yes, the sin within But we should be the people of God who are more defined by what we're for and who we're for than what we're against. 
If it's mainly by what we're against, then again, we can come across just as angry Christians. Boy, y'all are quiet today. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? So hate sin, hate sin, but, but don't stop there. Truly love God. And listen, if you truly love God, you will hate sin. You will hate it. But this gets down to the heart of the matter, getting down to the motivation for why we do what we do. In my opinion, this is just me. I think many of you would agree that there has never been a time when it has been harder to love people than it is right now. The sin is sickening. The depravity is depressing. People are touchy, angry, moody, hard to handle, ready to fight at the drop of a hat and don't point at anybody. Am I telling the truth in church? I'm really preaching now. What's the solution? Well, for many people, if someone's angry at them, they're angry back. People exchange anger for anger. Darkness for darkness. You get me, I'm going to get you. How many of y'all know that's the air we breathe? There are many exceptions, but that's the cultural climate we're in. You do it to me, I'm doing it back to you. Listen, let me give you a point. You can write this down. Remember it. I know you're all smart, but please get this. Don't let the darkness in someone else bring out the darkness in you. Don't let the hatred in somebody else bring out the hatred in you. Don't let them, what they do, then cause you to return the same to them. Let me give you some good advice. How many of y'all know someone that gets on your nerves? Again, don't point. Raise your hand. Y'all are a bunch of holy saints. Everybody raise your hand. You've all got somebody that gets on your nerves. You say, why would you even ask? Just for us to do a little exercise. You know somebody at work gets on your last nerve? Oh, now I'm talking to you. Someone in your house? No pointing. One of your kids? Nah, not here. Maybe over at the Lafayette campus. They're kids, right? The crazy crossroads around their kids. No, no, no. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Easy. The next time someone rubs you the wrong way, the next time a person really gets on your last nerve, can I give you some advice what to do? Call them, or even better, meet with them and get up in their face and look at them right in the eye and say, listen to me, you have done it now. I'm going to have to love you. You've you've gone over the top. I'm going to have to bless you. I'm going to have to pray for you. Now, let me have have your hand right now. Let me pray. Now, we're laughing at that. But do you understand the power in what I just said? If we would like really do that. Do you know? I mean, we would get the devil on the run. I'm going to have to bless you now. You have done it. What is love? According to Paul, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, love is patient. You ever pray for patience and nothing happened? That means the Lord's teaching you patience. But patience is not just something that's taught. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you don't have to work it up. 
the Holy Spirit produces it in your life as you yield to him. So it's not just something you're taught. It's something you are by virtue of the Spirit. He makes you that way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. You, you know them frontwards and backwards. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Man, most men, not all, most men have to really work on, on those. Arrogance? Someone said, you got some pride. I'm like, well, yeah. Not now. I mean, that's the way I was. And I'm sure I still have it in me that my wife will be sure to remind me of when it manifests. But being haughty and prideful, it's a horrible thing before God, something we can kind of laugh at because we're all guilty at some level. But love, love is not that way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. Just take rude for a minute. We live in a rude world. Just rude. Just rude. It's ugly. It does not insist on its own way. You insist on the other person's way. It's not irritable. Uh oh. How many of y'all woke up today? a little bit irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is what? Love. That's the greatest of all. I think we'd all agree, sometimes loving people, it seems impossible, doesn't it? We've all been unlovable at some point. Did you know that about yourself? That at times you're very unlovable. But thank God, we serve a God who loves us anyway. Isn't that amazing? Think about what I just said. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, third chapter, next to last paragraph, he says this, that there is tremendous relief. Listen carefully. There's tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on his prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. What does that mean? It means this. God knows the worst about you. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He's always known the worst about you, but that didn't stop him from loving you. That, That out of his grace drove him to pursue you, to win you, and to love you, not with a temporary love, but with an everlasting love. Just know this, God loves you. He madly loves us in spite of us. Isn't that a revelation? Not that we love God, but that God loved us. What a revelation. Some people are like, well, yeah, he should love me. And they apparently have not read the Bible or been honest with themselves. He's rich in love. Rich in mercy. 
He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. How many are thankful for that? He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He casts them to the sea of forgetfulness. He treads them underfoot. He woos us. He wins us. He changes us. He gives us his spirit, his word, and every promise in him is not yes and maybe, but yes and amen to the glory of our God. Why would he do that? He just loves us. Just get over it. He loves you. He just loves you. And so the logic, at least for me, is if God can love someone like me, then certainly I can love someone like them. Because the way I see it is, we can love because we are loved. Because we are loved. God, thank you for your love. You love me on my worst day. You love me on my best day. How, how many of y'all be honest and say, when you're doing real well, you, you really feel the love of God. Like, mm, God must be really happy today. And yeah, that's true. He will smile on what you do. Yes. But did you know that God loves you just as much on your worst day? Boy, that's really good news. And it's believing that God loves you in that way that changes your heart and changes your perspective and turns you inside out without love to love people who you think don't deserve the love. And so what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? Answer, Tina, everything. Because Jesus says this in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a really nice church building. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have a really strong dream team. But by this, all people know that you're my disciples if you, if you give a lot of money. Or By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love Love for one another. That's the mark. The abiding, perdurable, essential mark of the church. And there's so much attention, negative attention right now directed at the church, coming from the church. And I show up every Sunday, not just to preach a good message and go home and get that's a good message. But when I show up, I know the way the culture is. And I know what the Bible says. I know the type of church that he's forming. And so my job is to deliver the word of God first to myself. Then I come to you. And then, and then we receive the challenge. We receive the word. We're changed and transformed by it. Then we, we become a, a, a countercultural group of men and women who are about Jesus' business, not known for the flash, not known for all the other things of this world, but we're known for our love for one another. So when people drive by Midtown, they can say a lot of things. Oh, nice new parking lot. That's great. We need new parking spaces. They can say a lot of things. Boy, they've really made that, that, that building into something. They painted it. Wow, that's amazing. That, all that, forget all that. What I want is when people drive by our church for people to say, you know, I've been there or I go there. Man, they got a lot of imperfections in a lot of ways, but that is a group of people that love one another deeply. I don't even agree with what the pastor said, but I know that he loves me deeply. I'm so mad someone would say, my small group leader, they're honest. But he or she loved me deeply. 
Let that be the mark of our church. Let's put that on the website. But not just on the website. Let's live it. Because that's the greatest marketing the world has ever known. The church at Ephesus started out with it. And over time, abandoned it. And Jesus says this. Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Everybody say repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What kind of works? Works done from the motivation of love. From the motivation of love. Jesus is saying, return, return to that. Do, do, do those again. The implication is from that, that motivation. What you had or what they had at first generation all those years ago. Do, do that. As I was writing this message, I had this just real clear vision of the congregation, of, of y'all. And, and, and here's what I saw. And I don't have these very often, so it must be from the Lord. I saw a group of people many of whom were on fire for Jesus, loving God and people deeply from their hearts. But then within the mass of people, I saw some, and it was like just one or two embers that were barely glowing. Some were raging fires. Some of you right now as you sit here, in your heart, your heart is so warm. And your passion is so great. Your love is so deep and so passionate for Jesus and for people. And I would say to you, if that's you, keep on keeping on. Throw another log on that fire and let it burn, baby. But for some of you here, let's be honest. We can do the right things. You can serve. But on the inside, your heart, your love can be cold. And I saw, it was like the devil just poured a big container of water on the fire, on the love that you once had for the Lord Jesus. There's just a couple of embers glowing. Let me say this. If that's you, thank God there's still some heat. Thank God that that fire hasn't completely gone out. Some of you here today, that water has been poured on on your spirit, on your soul. It could be because of an offense. It could be because of the issues in culture. There is so much disdain and disgust and angst. There is so much anger and hatred and racism. There are so many reasons out there the devil uses to, to harden our hearts and to, 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 to put water on, on the fire of our, of our soul, of our love for God. And as I was thinking about y'all, I'm thinking about such a great group. of Y'all are an amazing church. This is an amazing church filled with godly people. But listen to this. If, if we lose love as a motivation, if we lose that raging love for God, then listen, nothing else that we do matters here. And I saw, I saw this. Spirit of God, 
Begin to blow. Blow into that, to that fireplace. And I saw a raging fire. I'm seeing even now a raging fire of love for God. Begin to rage. I'm talking about true, deep love for God. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us. Can we just lift our hands right now? Holy Spirit, blow. Wind of God, blow. Holy Spirit of God, forgive forgive us for any hatred, for the animosity. Forgive us for the disgust, for the contempt. Forgive us Lord God, at any point where we have not loved others as we should, forgive us for doing good things, but from the wrong motivation, Lord, forgive us. And God Almighty, right now I pray that you, by your Spirit, would awaken deep love in our hearts. It's not just through something I say, even the preaching of your Word, which is so important, but Lord, it's a work of your Spirit on the inside. Some of you, your, your fire is all but gone out, but today the Holy Spirit wants to breathe. And fan into flame that love. Love for Him. Passionate love for God. Passionate love for people. Holy Spirit, right now, would you you move in our midst? Those of us who've abandoned our first love, come on, let's go pick it back up again. Let's pick it up. Just go pick it up. Pick, Pick up where you left off. Holy Spirit of God. Wind of God, breath of God. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken us to the reality of of who you are. The great love that you have for us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to embrace the nastiest of sinners. To see who they are as you see them. To love them as you love them. Because you loved us. And with your eyes closed today, your heads bowed, I want to remind you of what the Bible says in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me. That he gave his one and only son. He gave him. The father sent him and Jesus willingly came here to die for us. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting, never-ending life. God, thank you for that great gift. Thank you for Jesus and the gift of eternal life. And I want you to put your hands down right now. I want to give you an opportunity right now to believe the gospel. And some of you have had a hard time believing that God actually loves you. Listen to me carefully. If you're in this room at the sound of my voice, God loves you no matter how far you've run from Him. No matter matter what you've done, He loves you. You. You with all your junk. You with all your mess. You with all your guilt. You who said, I'll never do that again. You did it again. You. And He loves me. Oh, that's amazing love. Today, some of you are going to begin a relationship with this loving God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've even read some of the Bible, 
Maybe you have some Christian friends. God wants you to have way more than that. He wants a relationship with you. And today, you say, Pastor Scott, I want to begin that relationship with God because I, I've been running from God because I, I don't think a God like you've talked about could ever love somebody like me, but now I'm convinced that he, he loves me and I want that relationship and I want it now. If you, if you want that relationship, you can have it right now. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you're here, if it's one, if it's 10, if it's 20, whatever, Lord, right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would move in every heart and every mind. If you're here today, you say, I want to begin that relationship with God. On the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. Let me see your hand right now. You say, I want to begin that relationship today. I want to begin it. I, I know that God loves me now. I've got this revelation. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you for responding to the gospel. Thank you for responding to God's love. Is there anybody else? You say, I want to begin that relationship today. I want to begin that relationship. For those of you who have your hands lifted right now, that means the Holy Spirit has, through my words and by his own power, revealed to you the greatest truth in the world, that God is love. And he wants a relationship with you. And so if you have your hand lifted right now, I'm going to give you a prayer. We're going to pray this together. The prayer isn't magic. The prayer in itself doesn't save anyone. I'm giving you words. We're going to say it together. This verbalizes, I believe, what's really going on in your heart. This is confessional. This is confessional. And so the Bible says if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved from sin and for a relationship with God. And so come on, Midtown. All of you who are saved, all of you who have a relationship with God, let's say this prayer with those who just raised their hand. Let's say it boldly like we mean it. Say this, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. Say this, I believe you rose from death to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, in relationship with the Father. Say this today, Lord Jesus. I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart. No turning back. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And thank God, heaven is now my home. It's in Jesus' awesome name, everybody said, Amen.